she's ripping her own heart out and showing it to him, but she's also ripping his heart out. What's the matter, Don? You don't know where you'll be in three years? To Don the hobo, that is the, the center of everything. term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Connie, a great way to start the day. 9.30, it's practically lunch. Welcome to They Coined It, Dan. Welcome. And everyone else, welcome. I owe my soul to the company <laughs> store. Do, 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 do. Did I get it right? Tennessee Ernie <laughs> Ford. Yeah, you got it right. Is that the part? This song just, first of all, it's got a hook that's just in the delivery and the performance by, by Tennessee Ernie Ford is awesome. Uh, but it's not a really well-known song, but you've heard it, but you know about it, but you don't hear it that often. And then when you start listening to the lyrics, it's like, <laughs> they do a great job of like mining, you know, old American, classic American country, you know, Don's upbringing, right? You know, middle America type of country music and it's really phenomenal in this case i think that was a a more known song generationally it was a hit yes it was a hit and i've always known this song it's part of the greater american songbook it escaped the backwoods if you will right this was a song that was known and i wonder if there's something about that where not only if you give it a close-up look in its detail it's appropriate to don draper but also it was a big commercial success so i wonder if if there's that double meaning but it definitely had it hit me too yeah it, and it, it, i don't mean that it's an obscure song this one's certainly not obscure but it's not the kind of song you hear a lot nowadays really at all it's not used in movies you don't hear it's not one of these songs on every soundtrack it's just it's kind of faded away you know over time the lyrics and you know man is made of muscle and blood you know all this stuff and that the refrain of I owe my soul to the company store. You can't pair it with an episode <laughs> any better than Don being strong-armed into signing a three-year contract, right? No, it was fantastic. And, you know, <laughs> last awesome. week was one of the one of the great song endings as well. It was song to Woody. Woody Guthrie, All-American. Totally, yeah. That was very Bob so. Dylan's tribute to Woody Guthrie. So it was really, that was another great sort of meeting of the... 60s and the 40s and the you know or the 30s really and and all the different cultures that was that was just another stellar stellar song ending that we did not mention so here we go we made up for it right now right here (laughs) this is what we do on this podcast we make up for past mistakes (laughs) everyone else is not ours is that what we do well look this is uh i I, i'm gonna say top 10 episode of mad men Top 10 of the 90 whatever episodes. Yeah, we're going to have to start writing down what we think are the top 10. Right. And, and by the time we're done, we'll probably have 30. But that's fine. Yeah, we'll get 30 top 30 top 10. Easily. This one is a legit top 10. It hits so many levels. There's, there's plot advancement, right, which we like. There's performance, which we love. There's great dialogue, which in this series that counts for a ton. So yeah, there's just such a, there's something happening every scene. There's no there's no B story or C story that kind of drags. It's just completely you're in it the whole time. Yeah, well, and this one also brings a particular style. I mean, you've got some mystery set up. It's a, a different kind of a genre than we've seen, which again, we've we've talked about. We talked about this at the end of season one, that after season one, we're going to start getting into different sort of experimental phases, right? And I think season two, what you had a lot more of was the expansion of into the different families, into different environments. You sort of spiderwebbed out into everybody's lives and saw more settings and met more people. And then to Towards the end of season two is when you started getting into genre. You had Don in California was a whole world, right? And now in this season, you're seeing more of that. I mean, we've already talked about the uh, the Quentin Tarantino of it all. Someone on the blog at the time, I remember, actually referred to this as a noir type episode. Yeah, for sure. Which is an awesome observation. It kind of is. So yeah, exactly. There's a stamp and a, a bit of a stylistic uh, statement that's being made very explicitly. There's some time stuff that we haven't seen done on this show. 723 was written by Andre and Maria Jacquemetin and Matthew Weiner, directed by Daisy Von Schurler Mayer. That's one person. I don't know her, but that's a, I don't know her. That is an A-plus name, though. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Original air date was September 27th, my dad's birthday, 2009, and takes place over July 19th through the 23rd. 1963. So this is the episode that has sort of three concurrent time jumping plots where 
we open at the conclusion of each of the three stories. We see Peggy waking up in a hotel bed next to a man. It's the beginning of the conclusion. There's still the day after. That's right. It's not like the closing shot of each piece. You're correct. I think it's the beginning of the of the 23rd. You know, we go, so it's July 19th through July 23rd. I think it's the morning of the oh, 23rd. Oh, that's great. You know, I was reading on a on a Reddit, someone not getting what 723 meant. And someone pointed out, oh, it's a date when he signs a contract. They're like, oh, thank you. I never realized. All right. Well, you have to be in a coma not to have picked up on that. Yeah, or in your phone. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. One of the things I've been thinking about, and Dan, we were talking about this the other day, sometimes I forget that people haven't examined Mad Men over and over and over. Some people have. Who's that? I know, it's weird, right? Some people have. Some people... I only live in a world where everybody... Yeah. No, (laughs) weird, right? No, I mean... (laughs) When we had the blog, people were like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to have this place where we can talk about Mad Men. And now there are Reddits. This show has always inspired the desire for the kind of analysis that that is out there and that we bring. When we're doing our outlines, we outlines, I'm using air quotes, we have outlines and then we (laughs) we go in directions. But we are reminding ourselves that but this might be the first time you're getting any kind of analysis of That's Mad true. Men. So yeah, yeah. sometimes there's this tendency to like skip the big obvious one. For example, with Guy Walks Into an Advertising Agency, I almost wondered if we even needed to mention the like JFK assassination side by side. But I realized, you know, some people, it's their first time. Yeah, you don't know what to take for granted and what not to. So you, you over explain. It's fine. We're here because we think you're hungry for it and because we're still hungry for it. So anyway, that was my little digression on uh, <laughs> what the hell 723 means. Duh. <laughs> so the the three plots within it are, as we said, Peggy waking up in a hotel bed next to a man, Don waking up on the floor of a strange room, and Petty reclining on a on a chaise of some kind. If you will. Allange. Well, she she does that move where we have there's no mystery as to what's nope. going on inside her head, and it reminds me of that paint that that Picasso. Yes, yes, yes. Loev, right? <laughs> Which is likewise explicit in, in what's going on in the subject's head. Going back to Peggy, I forgot until you just said that, and then I just said what I said about people who haven't been exposed to so much analysis. Peggy could have been laying next to a dead body. That's part of why the noir thing got brought oh, up. Oh, really? I have to go back and look. Yeah, kind of. You're not sure from that first shot. We certainly don't know where she is. We don't know she's in her house, which is ultimately what it is. But we don't. We have no clue what the context is for that. She's in her house? Reclining. Well, yeah, when we see her, yeah, because she's bought the chaise and it's in the it's Peggy. In the I'm, I said she's... the word Peggy. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> Betty. I was still thinking. I was still thinking Betty and the painting. Betty is not laying next to any dead body. No, 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 no. My, my bad. <laughs> I, I totally misheard you. I thought you said Betty next to. I wonder to a dead if I body. did. Point is, Peggy, from the first shot. Right. Yeah, it could be anything. Could have been a dead body. I actually forgot sure. that possibility of a like of interpretation until just now in this discussion. And then Mm. that's where the noir interpretation came from, because it it really did look like maybe, you know, a murder mystery. And then you've got Don's dad. dad, Right. It was a lot of maybe death and then and then Betty. The little death, if you will. See what I did there? Betty and the little death. What's her little death? Oh, the little death means orgasm, my dear. Oh, okay. Call me. Call me square. I thought that was a known thing. (laughs) Maybe it is. I I, not known by me. (laughs) A little death. Tell me if I Google the little death, it might come up at the woman's own. Little death. Le Petit Mort in Wikipedia. The little death is an expression which means the brief loss of weakening or consciousness. In modern usage refers specifically to the sensation of post-orgasm as likened to death. There you go. We'll call that possible interpretations. But anyway, it turns out Peggy slept with Duck. Don gets robbed after picking up some hitchhikers. And Betty is... um, Bettying. She's enthralled with the uh, Albany hotshot, Henry Francis. Which, by the way, Henry Francis is a good actor. Christopher Stanley. He does a great job. I love the tone. I love the pacing and the timing of these two when they're sitting in Swenson's and doing their little thing. It's really good and it's enjoyable because nothing's happening, but it's very enjoyable. Let's just get into it. So Betty, there's this little scene in her newly redecorated living room by the hearth where she doesn't know what it is. I guess they want to have they want to keep this water tower from being built and it's scenic and they don't want it to the, the view and blah blah blah. They were proposing a giant water tank being erected, if you will, and it was going to as a result drain the Pleasantville reservoir, destroy the reservoir. We've all seen 
giant water tanks. They are unsightly. This is a very a beautiful area. They said something about because some industrial park on Route 9 needs our water. Mm-hmm. You've got Manhattan on one side of the Hudson River and New Jersey on the other side of the Hudson River. But then you go north and you've got Westchester County, which is where the Drapers are. On the Jersey side, you've got Rockland County which is New York. Rockland County is is New York State, but it's on the Jersey side of the Hudson River. The Tappan Sea goes across the Hudson River, connecting those two counties. And before that, Rockland County was nothing. It was isolated. The only way to get to Manhattan was to like go all the way up to the Bear Mountain Bridge way further north in the 70s. And this sort of ties in with things that you've been talking about thematically in terms of the dumpster fire that Manhattan was. So people moved from the Bronx and Queens and one of the other ones, Bronx, Queens, and Brooklyn into Westchester County. Rockland County started to get viable too, but it was never kind of as chic. And I think I felt like that was a little shot, like who cares about Rockland County? You can't do a documentary about a town without shooting the water tower, right? Every time in a documentary that they go to a new town, the water tower is how they establish what town you're in. Because it's got a big sign. That's right. It always says the name of the town right there. Sayerville, right. So (laughs) that's the Junior League's concern is getting this water tower go from being approved and almost built to unapproved and not built. Betty says, well, I know somebody in the governor's office. I He put his hand on my belly, which was uber creepy, but somehow I'm titillated and I want to see him again. So Henry Francis and blah, blah, blah. And I love how <laughs> the woman says, oh, he'll respond. He'll, he'll return your call. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and Betty's like, oh, what do you mean? And Francine says the uh, fabulous. Great line. It's not adorable to pretend like you're not adorable. <laughs> Which, you know, that's fair. That's right. But, you know, she also doesn't know that this is more than just Betty knowing that she's adorable. This is like, there's a whole thing no. that Betty's got going on about this guy. So she's got the guilt of, you know, she's got, an, this isn't just, I'm going to be the pretty one. This is like, oh, there's shit. A, there's an ember burning. There's yeah. an ember burning there. At the same time, I, I, I always point out that in Mad Men, the Mad Men universe Don and Betty are exceptionally beautiful people. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not like most movie stars who walk around in their, you know, in their manufactured world or whatever, whatever movie or film or TV show we're looking at them in, where they're like average people. You know, Jennifer Aniston's like a, uh, you know, an average-looking person in whatever world she's in. Uh, no, Betty Draper is exceptionally beautiful and people talk about it. And Don is exceptionally beautiful and people talk about him. That's right. So yeah, I always, I always love whenever there's that explicit call like out. You're the is... pretty one. Like if anybody <laughs> exactly. is going to have an impact, it's going to be Betty Draper, January Jones, right. because of your Instagram. That's right. And we don't not talk <laughs> about it. Right. So now she's got this excuse to call Henry. And yeah, and they set up a time to go have coffee at Swenson's, what, whatever Swenson's is. I suppose it's a real thing. But I love the um, the entire phone tag. With They're Bobby. playing with Bobby and calling back and hang up and, and yeah. stop that. And <laughs> hello, this is right. Mrs. Like the whole game she's playing. So they meet at Swenson's. You know, Betty has to mention she used to live in Manhattan. <laughs> First of all, she has to get that in. That's a number one. You know, uh, how long have you been living in Ossining, whatever? Well, it's not Manhattan, but so that's her that's her showing her a little bit of leg. Please write down. I am aware that I am too good for the life I have. Just just write it down. (laughs) Write it down. Mr. Francis. Not only am I the best looking person in my on my street, uh, I also have I should have had a better life. They get talking, and he's from the area too, and they kind of jive on that. But it's just this, this little, this very to the viewer, it's an obvious flirtation. I think to each other, it's a fairly obvious flirtation, although they're just really having their first conversation. But it's all these signals, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer. Uh, um, I work for the governor. I'm close to him. I do fundraising. I do this. I do that. So they're each signaling to each other about status and about accomplishments and about background and uh these are the things that that matter right he's not talking about his family she's not talking about her family they're relating on like this sort of very personal level i was sort of impressed with betty when she was asking about his job like how do you do that like how does one become one of those like what is it and how does one become one of those but then it quickly went to, well, I went to Bryn Mawr. So I was like, were you ever really interested in that, like, now not in Betty's head way? Or did you, did, was it always just to get in the Bryn Mawr thing? But that's why the writing is so good. Because those, th- like, we're not, that's not us digging up shit to just talk about. Like, they're written that way because Betty is that way. And, and we're learning about him. And um, 
what I love what we learn about him is he keeps her completely on her heels with regard to whether he can help. That's right. I don't know what I can do. Well, you shouldn't give up so easy. Well, I'm not sure what, what there is at this point. It's already approved. You know, like yeah. he, he never says I can help or I can't help. He says both of those things multiple times. Yeah, he even says like as they're in to this, right? He says like, let's get one thing out of the way. I can't help you. And then she was like, bummer. And then he was like, why are you giving up so easily? So he keeps, yeah, it's we. It's definitely, he's a politician. He, he He's trying to show that he can be helpful without having to commit to anything, I think ultimately is where he is. He doesn't want to give them hope or be you know, Superman with a cape flying in because uh, maybe he can't help it. But I think he's just looking for an excuse, A, to see her again or come back into her life or keep the thing hanging so that it can be it can be used again for another visit. So that's them. And that little scene there in the bakery, and I just love it. I just love the whole thing. It's it's masterful. The last piece of it was, I never had time for the hike I said we were, we were going on. A, that was a little manipulative, but of course, B, Betty just appreciated the flirtation. Does she look like she's dressed for a hike? Well, hello. Does, do we even know what a hike is? Like, <laughs> Under any is? circumstance, no. <laughs> are either of them going hiking? Yeah, I was like, aren't we getting the coffee to go? And then I remembered in the 60s, they didn't have any lids yet, right? And those little Greek, yeah, the little right, blue and exactly. white Greek coffee cups without a, without a plastic lid. So I guess we are sitting for that coffee. Yeah, I loved that scene too. And then, of course, it ends with them in front of the antique shop looking at what we learn is a fainting couch, which <laughs> right. might look familiar from our flash forwards from earlier, <laughs> right? Well, do we know that she, in that opening little pan through of her, do we see that she's on a chaise? I think we just see her reclining. I don't know that we know that she's on a piece of furniture at that point. Like we can't spot the chaise until we see it the next time. I think you're wrong. I think, I think. Okay. Uh, and certainly, coiners, you can check us on this, please. It's worth a relook, right? Yeah, at some point. I am pretty sure that when you see that in the window, you go, oh, that's what she's uh, laying okay. on. I think it's the other way. I think the O is when we go back to her later and we see the whole thing in the living room. We go, she bought she bought the chaise that we, that we saw in the window. But that's the first time we recognize it as part of that story. I think she's just too busy thinking about Henry moving furniture to... Uh, that's right. He was a furniture mover. <laughs> He's a good bullshitter is what he is. <laughs> oh, you need a fainting couch. <laughs> He's so full of shit. He is a little interesting because he's got she keeps trying to impress him with her with her credentials. But he's actually a guy with a blue collar background before before law school. Right. Or during law school. So right. he's a man. Of the he's people. a man of the people. Right. right. OK. I like Henry. Sort of. I love him here. I think he's fantastic. I, listen, I like Henry the throughout. I'm team Henry. I do, too. He just is moving in on a married woman. Yeah. Who's very move in honorable. We'll say that at the time. <laughs> I looked into this for you, and I'm afraid it's underway. Oh, no. We're too late. Maybe if you knew somebody with some clout. We often talk about dominoes, things that happen a scene or two prior that gets the ball rolling within a character's head, and then, you know, the action comes out maybe down the road, a scene or two, or maybe an episode or two, but oftentimes it's something that happened prior that jiggles something loose or sticks in someone's craw that they blow up about it or they react to it later. This whole episode is that. The beauty of Mad Men, and, and we, I think you have referred to this across the episodes in different ways, it's not like Chekhov's gun, where you see something and you're going, oh, that's going to mean something <laughs> later. No, it's, no, it's, no, 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 no. Nothing no. means anything until it does. I mean, r- rarely, it's not Chekhov's it's rare. gun until you look at it again and you go, oh, oh shit, there was a, there was was a gun there. the whole time. Exactly. It was hiding in plain sight. There's a lot of that. With Don, we know he loves being the man without the contract. He got to um, be the be the hotshot around uh, for PPL when Duck was trying to corner him. Now he walks in. He walks in one day, <laughs> and his old friend Connie Hilton is sitting behind his desk, which is the power move of all time. That is always the power move. That is a dick. Always move. the power move. We see it twice this episode, by the way. When Bert Peterson twists his arm later on, he's sitting in Don's chair too. So make no mistake. This is the daddy issues. Ep- I mean, there's many, but this <laughs> oh, yeah. is this yeah. is the, the, the Don Draper daddy issues episode. It's the mother of all daddy issues. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so. And episode title. Connie's sitting in, in Don's chair. And of course, Connie gives this whole speech about my eye is wandering and my needs aren't being met and ba 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 ba. What the fuck was he talking and- about? 
I, well, I don't know. Okay. Because when he started... It was, is he talking about he's got a little side piece that he's talking about? Is he talking lover or vendor? What is it? Is it lover? Or, and really, is it the same thing? If for, in Connie's world, perhaps it's exactly the same I thing. I mean, I really, I, I actually wanted to ask you because sometimes you get the corporate male drippy double speak better than I do. Yeah, and, and Connie floats above even the corporate speak. Connie Hilton is totally on another plane. I think in real life. I mean, that's the real Connie Hilton, Conrad Hilton. But but yeah, I think, and that's why this character is so great and compelling is because they don't they don't draw him down into this two-dimensional mogul. There's a whole thing going on. And yeah, I don't know what, what Connie's getting at with this stuff. Ultimately, he's talking about a vendor. That's where I land. What's fascinating then, now knowing that it is uninterpretable um, <laughs> by a human mm-hmm. is how Don inscrutable. inscrutable exactly is how Don keeps up and 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 either does understand it or just pretends to so well he can't he can't he <laughs> has to be knowing that there's like ten sides to this fence and he's just going to respond to all of them. He's trying to hit the ball back over the net. That's all he's doing, and he does a good job of it because he's Don. But yeah, inside he's like, where the fuck is this old man going? Don't you have people who can help you with this? Kings, you know, I'm going to flatter you. I'm going to this. I'm going to dance, you know, keep dancing until the the music stops here because I don't know where the fuck you're going, Connie. That's, I think, the best, as I can tell, what's going on. And it is intentional, obviously, from the writer's standpoint that this is a little bit inscrutable. But with Connie, he is talking about his agency business. He is talking about um, the people that work for him. And maybe that's part of the point of the writing. It's not just a a vendor client relationship. There is a an intimacy and a with air quotes love affair going on. When I hire you, like he says at the like he says on the way out, right? It's going to change your life. There's part of that. So I think there's some there's a method to that madness in terms of the inscrutability um, that it is supposed to be difficult to understand where the line is drawn with Connie between being a son, being intimate having this relationship, but you still work for me and I hold all this, all the cards in this, in this thing. And before we get to Don's contract, doesn't Connie say something about we don't sign a contract? What did he say there? What was all that? No, he said the, the lawyers deal with the contract, but that's not, he's not referring to Don's contract. He's referring to the contract with the agency. No, no, no. I know yeah, he's Lawyers not. deal with that. Everything else is you and me. The contract's not going to say where our ad placement's going. You know, it's like the, the, the real relationship is here, but lawyers deal with the other stuff. That was the piece that I was a little uh, confused about. I actually misheard it and I didn't rewind it. I actually thought it was something about we're not doing a contract. And, and I knew mm-hmm. that was agency. I'm the, I'm the one who used to <laughs> work on those contracts. So I definitely know about agency contracts with vendors, with uh, clients rather. As Don Henley once said, uh, lawyers clean up all details. This is the end of the innocence. So there you go. But yeah, so they walk out and Don's the conquering hero <laughs> with shaking hands with the new with the new client who's on the cover of Time Magazine that week. I mean, huge, right? This is huge. You are at the top of Everest at that point in that in that office. Gets applause, right? Turns around and everyone's applauding him. I mean, that's... For for the guy we were saying a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe last week, was it? Everything is no power and London is pulling the rug out from him and he's losing his mojo at work. Now he's Don's back on top, right? That's, that's the, one of the things we ought to take out of this. So he immediately goes into Cooper's office... I love any scene in Cooper's office. Let me just say yes, that. Yes, you do. Anytime we go in there, I'm there. What was your name on our blog? B, I was B. Cooper. You were. I'm all about it. Yes. Never wear shoes. So, you know, Lane's there and and Sterling and Cooper. And I love, I, <laughs> this is the great, they always they always pull some, some modesty out of Don's character, right? Something like, how did you, how did this happen or something? And Don's reply was, I was hoping it was going to be a phone call and then see who takes credit, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, it fits It fits perfectly. And it's Don's way of deflecting. But he knows. He knows he's king shit at this point. If you don't mind my asking, how did you make this happen? We travel in the same circles. Well, I don't know if we should celebrate yet. His lawyer's called, and there's a little matter of the contract. Well, don't be afraid to push back. I agree to the New York hotels, but everything else should be under our terms. I don't think you understand. This is regarding your contract, or lack thereof. It may seem like a formality to you, but to Mr. Hilton, it's a necessity that all the principles in the firm be secured. And uh, honestly, I can't blame him. I've never thought of this before, and it is unknowable. I usually don't 
get into stuff if there's not some piece of evidence I can point to or, hey, did you see this? But I'm thinking now for the first time in several rewatches over the years, is it possible that this is not Hilton asking about Don's contract? But is it possible this is PPL and Sterling Cooper finally saying, this is our this is a red herring that we can use to get Don to sign a contract because this shit's gone on long enough. London maybe is squawking about it. And we, you know, we, we've gone as far as we can say, saying we don't do it this way. We, we want to keep Don happy that there could be pressure there, too, because since when does a client demand that everybody have contracts? I don't know that that's a thing. Maybe it is, but I don't know it to be a thing. It's a great question. I'm just going to, my mind is kind of going through what I do know from the other side. One is, I don't know shit about clients asking for that, but Conrad Hilton is incredibly controlling. And so this very unusual client with these very unusual demands might just have it. And the other the other thing is, it was plausible enough that they hurled it. So it it can't be it can't be so unusual. Yeah, it doesn't stand out as a red flag right away. Would a client ever ask for that? I guess again, not implausible enough that they didn't think Don would be like, "Really?" So that's number 1. And then number 2, seems like if PPL wanted Don to have a contract, PPL would make Don have a contract. Possibly. But they tiptoe around Don they too. They do because Don could walk. And the closest thing there is to evidence for for this thing that I'm playing out is what well, he starts out by saying, I'll be afraid to push back in general. And then when they bring up the contract, he pushes back and says, I don't want the contract. And they said, well, it's kind of important to us too, Don. Like now they're, they're, they're starting to narrow the argument from it's purely a Hilton thing to, well, it's also kind of an us thing. So that's, that might be the most truthful thing in that conversation was, was Cooper kind of saying it's not just Hilton. It could go either way. It could go like, you know what? Now this is pissing off clients. We have sucked this up long enough. We have given you the mountaintop. It's plausible that it came from Hilton. It's also plausible that it's not because it never comes up with Hilton along the way. So it's, who knows? Bert's now personally invested in getting the signature, whether that's for the Hilton account or just because Bert's now the dog with a bone. So how does this affect people at work? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants a chomp, right? Well, we see Pete earlier in the episode make his pitch for Hilton. And Don Don smacks him down, but but you know, bring bring in that other account you were talking about and and Don knows at this point he's going to be like a hockey goalie, you know, fending off interest internally to work on it. But Peggy <laughs> Peggy who um recently asked for a raise in the fog comes back and kind of and it's true she probably did use that sign off as a pretense because she was clearly aiming to talk about Hilton. Yeah, that was, he definitely busted her on that. I mean, yeah. I even had the thought totally. like, oh, I guess Don, Don still signs off on all the all the finals, which he could, but then that wasn't the case. So yeah, so this all happens together because Roger's leaving and he sees Peggy and says, didn't we get you an office? And that's when Peggy walks in with her, with the thing for Don to sign. So Roger's pissed he didn't get what he wants. Don's pissed because he's getting squeezed. And Peggy's about to get pissed because Don's going to shit on her. So that all happens like, together, basically. And, you know, Don's feeling this, the walls close in on him with this contract. Peggy now pays the price. It cannot be overstated. And so let's overstate it. Both barrels. Don shits all over Peggy. Pete approaches Don earlier and Don is like, knock it off. But you, but that is not how he treats Peggy. He treats Peggy like garbage. Like this, this episode. Yeah, because he's swatting away flies like Pete. You know, everyone's going to be on on this account. Now he's getting squeezed by Roger and 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 Bert. He doesn't like that. I watch him with Peggy in this scene, and I'm like, Don, what the f- like, what the fuck? Like, this is a lot for even my boss as a jerk. And this is where I started to sense Don is really. I mean, not just sense it because there's this flash forward from the beginning of the episode that something is very wrong. But you know, this is where you question like what like what kind of a breakdown is Don in here? And not to excuse yeah. him because he's horrible, but Don is Don is going through something. Remembering that a week ago, Don thought he was on top of the world and going to London, <laughs> and then and the next thing you know, he lost a foot. That was early July. This is late July, so it's it's been a month. He's just kind of licking his wounds from that. Connie Hilton shows up. He's on the top of the world again, and then they're like, "You need to sign this contract." Connie comes in. Then that highlight meeting takes place where Pete makes the pitch for for working on the business. He's not ready to give anyone assignment on the account, but he's patient with Pete. 
That's right. Bring in North American Aviation. We'll talk about it. But he's like a normal human being. And when did he get patient with Pete, right? I mean, think about how he would have swatted Pete away season one. Right. Then he gets squeezed by Bert and Lane and Roger. And Peggy comes in after that. In fact, after the second time he's been squeezed, that this time by Roger in his office. And then Peggy comes in. So we know it's not just about being annoyed about Hilton, about working on Hilton. He's what's happened in the interim is he realizes this could be like the monkey's paw. But he <laughs> but he's cruel. This is cruel. This is I know exactly how to get you to feel terrible and I'm going to do that. It's because of these dominoes that are falling for him. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that's the explanation is what's going on with Don is he's in panic mode. What he doesn't know is that he's being another domino for Peggy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is like those uh Chinese tournaments with the dominoes <laughs> spread out over the gymnasium <laughs> That's right. floor. That's right. You know? Um, and and yeah, it is the first domino for Peggy. Well, not the first. One of many. The first in this episode. It's a bad one. Like, this is terrible for yeah, her. Yeah, and she's getting wooed by Duck. You know, we already know this. They're getting gifts and Pete's like, send it back. And, you know, it's very clever, right? Pete, Pete wants her to send it back. Pete didn't go over to the suite at the Waldorf or whatever. I liked that Peggy and Pete are now having a much more balanced conversation about this than they were a few weeks ago or whenever it was. They've come to some sort of understanding about each other. Yeah, they're not being just total snips at each other. No, they're transparent. They're like, all right, here's what's going on. He's he's wooing us. We shouldn't. Pete's saying, I've got some loyalty going on with Don. And he doesn't use that word, but that's what he's talking about. They're open about it. Everything's on the table, which is, which is good to see between them. Stop barging in here and infecting me with your anxiety is one of the greats. <laughs> I I've, I've used that one. But it's a great vehicle to get Peggy over to see Duck. Isn't it, <laughs> You know, though? it's like a very... <laughs> and uh, and I think it's safe to say she does not have any intentions in mind of, of, of going duck hunting. I... <laughs> I don't think so either, but I uh, watching it this time, I was looking for any clues of attraction, and it's sort of left for interpretation. You can't... It's, it's another unknowable, but it's... Um... You know, he's he's an attractive guy. Sure, but she's going there to solve her wounds. She, she's going there to feel better about herself professionally because she just got shat upon and knows it and is looking for something to fill that gap a little bit. And sure, you know, the way everything mixes together, the personal and the professional, Duck is being super complimentary and don't, don't just, just know that's what opportunity looks like. That was a great moment. That's a great line. A lot of great lines in that whole thing. Up to and including, I'm going to take you in there and rip your close off with my teeth. I definitely looked at that scene with, okay, would I or wouldn't I? I totally <laughs> would. I totally would have. You know, there, there's nothing there's nothing unattractive about it, honestly, for yeah. from that perspective. Now, there's not nothing unattractive about it. There's one thing unattractive about it. I'm going to give you a go round like you've never had. It's the like you've never had. There's a something very replaceable about her in that. Like, this is what I do. And there's something that may, that suddenly takes the very personal attention she's getting and puts it into a different category where you're a little like, oh, I see. This is just what you do. But that was set aside. I still would have said yes right there. Mm. I absolutely still would have said yes right there. I think he puts enough into the setup that indicates it is about her. I don't yes. know that it's uh, this is what I do. He's like, you were there. I never noticed. Uh, you know, like he, he is relating to her and talking about her as an individual as to why he wants to do this. So I didn't get a sense of him being predatory about it or general about it. That's where it was. It was right there. He reminds me of an amalgam of a, of a handful. And there, there's always a little clue. I didn't say predatory. I don't mean predatory. I just mean, not wrote. There is a routine to it. Even if you customize your routine for this new person. I, and I agree. I think he's, you know, I think he is intrigued by Peggy. I mean, then where, where the writing gets more obvious about it is when he says, I love the smell of alcohol in your breath or whiskey on your breath or whatever. And then there was even something else after. And now I'm forgetting the line. But where you are like, oh, this is just fulfilling on an addiction. I love it in the morning or something like that. I love it maybe. in the morning. That's it. That's exactly right. I love it in the morning. Thank you. Yeah, which is, yeah, that's the that same. does sound a little. And, and yeah. that's what I'm talking about. And again, I'm not saying predatory. He seduced her. He totally seduced her. And she was and seduced. And she was seduced. And that, and that was fine. There was nothing non-consensual there. And I think the word's overused these days, but she had total agency. She could do whatever she wanted. 100%. He wasn't, keep, he wasn't keeping her there. That was That was the flavor right there. What you just said goes back. It goes back to that first part. That's all. I think that's valid, but it both can, ex both can 
both can exist at the same time. No, if you're you just know. good for Peggy. Well, yeah, that's. I think that that was my big takeaway. Was like, wow, the, the, Peggy is, Peggy is in the advertising business. Now she is a full card carrying member True. of the ad of the ad industry. So yeah, so that I th- I thought it was both co- genuinely complimentary, genuinely an opportunity for her to to do what she wished, both the job and and the duck and. Um, and that 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 solves mystery number one of the uh, of the noir beginning of the episode. That was not a dead body. That was a duck body. <laughs> That's right. So let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we will finish the episode. So I guess there was an eclipse. Of course. Of course, it was a this real week ecl- eclipse. In, in of course, <laughs> my sister verified back in the day, if there's an eclipse, there's an eclipse. She checked. Sure. There's an eclipse. <laughs> and whatever it is, the third grade, the fourth grade class of Miss Farrell. I think we think it's third grade. I don't know if we've verified that or not. That's another coiners. If you know, just tell us. At Austin Elementary are viewing the eclipse through their little camera obscura boxes or whatever. And it's a cute little scene. She's good in it, I think. You know, there's this little this little thing where she calls Don out for coming on. What the fuck was that? I don't know. Was Well, I always thought like, yeah, she's batshit. We'll get we'll get to that down the road. I but think we like, can get to it right here. I looked at it this time, and I said, "Oh, is she flirting with him?" Yeah, what a shitty way to flirt. Well, what a shitty way to flirt. Here's how yeah. I'm going to flirt with you. How fucking dare you come on to me? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "What right. are you talking about?" And then by the end, he's all and he 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 all digs her. Well, yeah, but that but I'm talking about from her side of it. She like that was her. That was, so you think that is her intention was to flirt? She wasn't pushing him away. She was. Trying to tempt I mean, she practically said, I guess I'm going to have to fuck you. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's really? her, if it's her. I didn't catch all well, that. Well, she said, I, you know, next thing you know, you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to be looking me up. She's already drunk dialed him. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. We, there, there is those two dots. To I, that's connect. real. She literally drunk dialed no, no, him. No kidding. But, but I, I didn't see it as a flirt. I saw it as like an awkward calling out. And I was like, oh, that was, that didn't go so well. So I don't know if she's flirting or not. It's the first time I even thought it could have been flirting. I never even saw that before. But I'm like, oh, she is kind of bringing this up intentionally for some. I mean, fact. that's what you do. It's the worst flirting I've ever. She's. I think she's batshit crazy. And I think um, <laughs> there's a whole history with me and this character. And I think the writers would disagree that she's batshit crazy. And I know that John Hamm disagreed with me that she's batshit crazy. And I, I can go ahead and post that interview now, even though it's full of spoilers for the rest of the season. But most of you are seasoned watchers anyway. So if you want to read it, I'll post it. Watching this scene, all I get is she's batshit crazy. And I feel like, by the way, apologies to the mentally ill. <laughs> like, I don't, I need a better phrase. Apologies to those who are batshit. Apologies to bats who've had a really rough couple years. <laughs> it's been, a, it has been, they've been maligned. But she's all, like, whatever it is, she's awful. Yes. And, and listen, kudos to, all the writers for this being the seventh episode of this season. <laughs> and this thing's been, I wouldn't even call it a slow burn. It's been a slow simmer. I don't even it's know. Slow, sitting there. A slow what? We don't even know. He didn't even know he was flirting with her until she told him. <laughs> She's like, how dare you? How dare you flirt with me? Wait, what? What? Yeah, there's just been these real disconnected, disjointed types of things. And uh, yeah, spoiler everyone, they, they, they get together. They land, they land in her bed. But this is the oddest thing, and it makes no sense, and there's no real trajectory to it at all. I don't understand the scene in terms of how it was written. And you said she does a good job, and I fail to remember the actress's name. And she, you know, she's gone on to have great success. And she's continued. She's been in series, blah, blah, blah. I, I will say it again uh, throughout. I end up thinking that it is a failing of this actor, this actress, to convince me that she's yeah. um, genuine and lovable. And it, it really is hard to tell because the writing is very strange in this scene. So yeah, for sure. But I mean, she's good with the kids. She's good. It's, it's a very, it's a very um, plausible scenario there with the parents in the back and the kids in the boxes. And she's very enthusiastic. Like, I love that. I thought she was great. But once she starts talking to Don, it's just like off the rails. I end up, end of the season, kind of blaming the actress I think that's fair. Uh, she's never natural enough in all of this. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right with the kids and everything. It, it, it's fine. But this writing is bananas. Like, I don't know who could have made right. that dialogue sound not 
bizarre and batshit. And, and and if that's what they're going for, that's fine. But I don't know. It's weird. It's it, Miss Farrell, not my favorite. Spoiler. All right. But we do need to get back to the trails of Don the Hobo because Domino's there are fallen. Roger, after being unsuccessful with Don at work, calls knowing he's going to get Betty because he knows that Don probably just left 10 minutes ago. Calls and gets Betty, uses it as an excuse to say, hey, what do you know? You know, let's get on the same page about this contract thing. Now, Roger, just let's remember, Roger never gives any weight to the fact that he really horribly, inappropriately hit on Betty in season one and that she doesn't forget about that. Like he doesn't remember that she doesn't forget about that. That's probably true. But I think even even more top of mind for her is the leaving Mona and just the whole dating the secretary to to Betty that's just too unseemly to, to talk about. So she hates, yeah, Roger's totally on the outs with her. And what I do love is that no, no matter how, and you can see the smoke coming out of Betty's ears when Roger's telling her this, you know, A, it's her hatred for Roger that's not going to give, she's not going to give him the satisfaction of responding. Uh, no, she was a good wife. The way that the way that he wants her to respond. And that, yeah, there is still this bond, this, this simpatico between Don and Betty where she's going to, whether it's call it being the good wife or or um, closing ranks or whatever it is, she is not going to, oh, I see, Roger, what you're doing. Thank you for thank you for informing me. I will be on that with Don as soon as he comes. She's not going to give him any of that. And she's going to she's gonna keep keep it close with, with Don and present a united front. That, I find, is what's interesting, because that's her instinct. I don't know if it's the simpatico with Don or just... I I, I'm is. not giving a I'm not giving an inch to Roger Sterling and and or it's to both. anybody about not looking perfect from this end. Because I think if Bert Cooper had made that call, she would have responded more cordially, but with the same message: Don's going to do what Don's going to do. I'm not getting That's involved. Right. You know, she would have been more cordial to a Bert. You know, Roger, she can she can throw a few lines at and hang up on him. Basically, she's more definitely more more comfortable being hostile to to Roger. But I think she would have closed ranks the same way with anyone else. I think that's right. Or or whatever, you know. So I love that little dynamic that, again, it's not talked about. It's not a thing. It's not on paper, really. Um, Although, obviously, it's written that way. But it's in January Jones's performance. It's in her knowing this person that she's married to in this show and delivers everything that way. And it's there. That is not look. That is not a no evidence thing. That is a real thing. This dynamic between them as as a husband and wife, and that's the relationship that she's in with with this character. I think it goes back to what we talked about at the end of my old Kentucky home. Don and Betty have a familiarity, and and in and in my old Kentucky home, what they reconnected with at the very end was some tenderness there. But the the familiarity of a of a husband and wife who have three kids and who've you know who've been through a lot together and left each other and you know and they've fought and they've had wildly good sex doesn't go away easily so yeah the the ease of being don's wife both uh quote unquote client facing and and for real it is is not to be undermined you're you're correct I guess the point I'm making overall also is it wasn't just about Roger that's there but it's not just about that and that was wonderful to sort of observe so Domino, domino, domino. Don now Don comes home and she is going to confront him because, of course, it is riling to her that A, she didn't know. B, she's not part of his life that way. And C, why won't he fucking sign it? And what she says is, I think she's ripping her own heart out and showing it to him, but she's also ripping his heart out. What's the matter, Don? You don't know where you'll be in three years? You know, to to Don the hobo, that is the, the center of everything. It is. And it's interesting because Betty doesn't know what's there behind curtain number one, right? She doesn't. Mm-hmm. She's never, she knows there's a locked drawer. Right, which she jiggles after she talks with Henry Francis, by the way. Damn it, that drawer. Oh, good one. You know, once she started waking up and paying attention and starting to look at the things that she spent five or so years in that marriage not looking at, she can see it. She sees these little dribs and drabs leaking through of who this person, the mismatches of of this person, of what he who he says he is versus who 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 might be behind there uh who's in there it's in the right it's in the second episode mm-hmm. but but on the face of it also i was a little defensive for don of well yeah he doesn't know where he's going to be in three years you threw him out 
I mean, that's on the face. Uh, uh, you know, deep down, I think her instincts are completely, cor- obviously we know her instincts are correct. And there's a hobo in there and she's starting to to see that. But I did have a moment of like, well, you know, you threw him out and you might again. That's true. But they both agreed to get past that at the same time. Sure. While she's having a non-date. <laughs> <laughs> non-date date. Non-date yeah. date. For sure. With the, with sure. the cheddar and the vanilla ice cream. <laughs> that's right. Never figured that out. It doesn't concern you. You're taken care of. Why won't you sign it? Let me explain something to you about business, since, as usual, you're turning this into something about yourself. No contract means I have all the power. They want me, but they can't have me. You're right. Why would I think that has anything to do with me? So Don getting confronted at work, Don getting confronted at home, it's enough to make a man leave his house with a glass of scotch in his He's hand. like, fuck this noise. <laughs> <laughs> fuck this noise. I'm taking my scotch and my glass, probably the one that Roger took that time right. with red in the face and returned back to him. Now that's, um, I'm out of here. He takes his 1958 hat and leaves in his Cadillac. In his Cadillac. And it picks up a couple uh, couple strays, a couple hitchhikers. This, here's another Vietnam reference, right? I don't want to, they're, they're going to get married to avoid the draft. So this was 63. That was certainly a thing. Used to be just if you weren't in college, you'd get you'd get drafted more easily or at all. Anyway, it seemed they just needed more cannon fodder for that thing throughout the 60s and kept changing the rules. But that's another reference point in terms of Vietnam. And they're getting married, which, of course, Don's like, oh, my marriage is falling apart. So, But good luck, Doug and Sandy. Exactly. And I don't know why they're all in the same hotel room. I guess just because the phenobarbital is kicking in and they get a room or whatever. But Don's in there with them. They're like, let's party. That's all. He didn't want to go home. They said they obviously they were setting him up. So when they said, do you want to come in? We've already loosened him up. Yeah. Good point. I always thought it was more of a opportunistic theft than a setup. But maybe it was a little of both. I'm not sure. I think they say. I think they. I guess definitely a setup to get it's him It's a setup. It's just one way or another. This is a thing they do or talked about doing because it's why is he still awake? He took yeah, two. Yeah, for sure. And it's like because he's an alcoholic and his to- and he's been his taking these things, his little tolerance little, is a little intense. Yeah, he's been doing this since you were in preschool, right? So yeah, that makes sense. If they spontaneously planned it, they spontaneously planned it in the bathroom two seconds ago. Yeah, no, it was more like this is what we do when we can do it, or we'll do it this time, or we do it every time. I'm not sure. Regardless, they uh, they roll him. They they take his money. They knock him out. But before that, he has some interesting hallucinations. <laughs> sure. This is the mother of all daddy episodes. There's Archibald Whitman. You know, what's interesting is this is not a flashback. It is and it isn't because he probably no, told that joke. But this is the first time you're seeing them man and man. I mean, Archibald Whitman is talking to Dick Whitman but the man, the grown-up. It's, halluc- it's a hallucination. No, I think he's. I think he's actually talking to Don Draper this time. Yeah, I mean that's fair, right? Because it's it's look at your hands and you grow bullshit. I mean that's the ad man. That's right? right. But it's also the wall coming down between the two, which has been this three 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 season two and a half seasons so far of this. But really, it's Don beating himself up. You know, that's what we're seeing. I've done all this. I've caused this great, not just confusion, but the walls are crumbling in and I've done it to myself. I brought that up when we talked about Joan. You know, part of of Joan being so frustrated with the bill of goods she's been sold is she bought it, right? We, that's a thing we do is like, we, we, ugh, look at the position I am in again. So there's been these dominoes triggering him in different ways. This whole scene is very triggering. This couple is starting to have sex right in front of him. That's either um, something you want or it's something you haven't consented to. So it's and he does not look comfortable with it at all. He looks triggered. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Archibald, also just his rotten father right there. Um, But also even and the joke he tells is also about being being kind of being non-consensual sex sex and being rolled right (laughs) so it's like all coming together for him and he's super super damaged before he gets literally damaged and no longer beating himself up but someone else has done it for him (laughs) but it's funny because this is the only real you know don's hillbilly roots part of the episode there's not there's nothing else in the episode it's not multiple flashbacks or multiple he doesn't appear a couple times it's really just this moment with his dad and this this hillbilly joke that he tells that's that is the 
the flashpoint of Don Don's upbringing and Don's roots, if you want to call it, rootless, you know, upbringing, so to speak. I think Connie, with his down home ways. Indirectly, it points to that. Connie and his down-home ways and his manipulations and his, I'm going to be your daddy, but but I'm also being terrible is part of the, uh, is inside of there. I'm connecting it with, you know, we referenced the, the, the closing song. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's really, to me, that the song is made more meaningful by this scene with the dad and the joke and the, the whole piece of it. It ties in in that, in that incredibly insightful way uh because of that hallucination i think uh so to me that's that's all happening and it's in don's head and it's don beating himself up and uh and yeah and so that's the that's the answer to the mystery of how don gets (laughs) waking up on the floor of this we don't know it's a motel room at the beginning but it's obviously the motel room that they got and the note calling cadillac which i love that we let you keep your car but uh we're taking everything else which is weird because they kind of would have taken the car too i think unless they were afraid of getting lost now he has to go back to work uh bender bender looking like shit bender bender, bender, bender. he and peggy both in the same clothes <laughs> from the day before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she had another fender bender <laughs> they both had fender well, she benders. was the first um, one who's like uh, okay because i've yeah, been i've was... been around for some of your fender benders and you put the bender and fender bender for sure. <laughs> yeah, she 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 knows that it wasn't a story the fender there. bender for Don. There's a story. Um, and he's unshaven and he looks like shit and he's got the thing over his nose and he's got the same fucking suit on. And now he goes in and it's Bert Kuh's other dad behind his desk. Behind his desk. <laughs> and Bert tells this whole Sacagawea story, which is clever. Don goes from king shit at work, top of the mountain. To just shit. To, to, well, to being reminded that he's owned. What's the line? I, I think you would agree. I know some things about you. I know you. something, I about, know something you. about you. I know something about you. Something about you. Ooh, that's chilling. Which, which can be multiple things or it can be this one thing. And of course, it's, it's meant to be both. And Bert proceeds to strong arm Don into signing this contract. But it's, it's really just the, the wrap up to what this journey's been for Don of fa- feeling like he has power to having that power taken away, to regaining that power, to being told, no, Don, you know what? You never had any fucking power (laughs) because we're going to own you now. And Bert's comment, you know, Bert Bert loves, (laughs) what I I love about Bert at the end of the day, and it goes back to the Mr. Campbell who cares scene, is Bert is both the man, but he's also an iconoclast. He loves saying it matters, but it doesn't matter. It's important, but it's not important. We're doing this. But what does it really mean anyway, right? So it's like, you know, I'm the boss, but people cheat all the time. That that That's the, the slug line of the Mr. Campbell who cares scene. And now it's kind of like, yeah, we need you to sign this for all the reasons that we said, but I know you're not Don Draper anyway. So, who, you know, between us, like, let's just- You want to run away. Like, <laughs> all you got to do is not be here. Yeah. Yeah. We're, there's, a little, there's a little bit of uh, uh, kabuki going on with this. And he comes out and basically says it which is what's so interesting about it. Maybe that's what ultimately gets Don to actually pick up the pen. It's like, Don, what are you you ultimately so scared of? But I think that's part of Bert's manipulation is he's attempting to get Don to, to, to say, to see that, you know, yeah, you're tied down, but maybe if you really want to take it to all the way to the end of the sidewalk, uh, perhaps you're not. If you if if that helps you think of it that way, maybe. But ultimately, he he kneecapped him. It was a strong arm move because he wasn't gonna run run out the door and you know go down the elevator. This is it. You're signing this contract just to break down the yeah. He's the hobo. Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't want to sign this contract. At the end of the day, we make things mean things, and they become bigger than what they really mean. For sure. And Don has decided that he cannot be bound by a contract and that it is the one of the most important things about his autonomy and that signing a contract is the end of something huge. And all it is, is a contract for three years. And there's some restrictions that come with that. And there's some benefits that come with that. But this has become so outsized for him. And we have these things in life, right? Yeah. It really, yeah, it's existential for him. And it's not. It just is a contract for three years. He could break that contract and pay the penalty of that. Like, people make choices within, con- you know, and again, he has more money now and more contract, whatever. It's just, it's just interesting how he really 
this has become this sort of avatar of his self, of of all of, of everything left of who he is. Contracts ultimately mean what the two parties agree that they it's mean for themselves and for each other. Right. So no, it's great, and yeah, it it, it ties everything up, and Don's power has now been we'll just say eclipsed, right? If we're gonna <laughs> extend that metaphor, but that's. That's what this is for Don. Is you're you're now you're now a company man, okay? If you want to look at it that way, but to me the the interesting part is also what what Bert is saying. Like, yeah, you're tied down, but we can we can wink at each other about that if we want to. If that if that makes you feel better within you know when you wake up tomorrow and you come back into work, that's all part of it. And there's just there's no fucking show on the planet that has ever <laughs> explored these kinds of things this way. I don't have a problem with this as top ten. I just have a feeling there might be thirty of those. But yeah, like like. <laughs> We should probably, Yeah. this is, I mean, this is, we talked about my old Kentucky home. I think I used the word masterpiece and here we are again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is up there. I, I would put it right up there. Sure. Absolutely. So, all right. That's the episode. We're going to take a short break and talk about quotes from this episode. That's what we do. Oh, do we? Are we going to come back with quotes? Let's do it. Sure. Hey, want to let you know what's been happening on our Patreon page. If you don't know what Patreon is, it is a website designed so that fans of different things to be fans of have a way to support the thing they're a fan of, like say your favorite podcast or even one of your top 10 favorite podcasts. Dan and I had a lot of fun trying to figure out ways that we could thank our patrons. So we've actually started doing an extra episode to accompany the weekly episode. Basically, once we've listened to the final episode that we're going to drop for the week, we get back together and we're like, well, here's a couple other things we thought of. And we named that extra little podcast eminently chewable, which is the thing Dan always says that the show is and the show is. And you can also get our Thursday episodes on Mondays. So head on over. There's some other fun opportunities. And yes, the merch is coming. Keep an eye on our social. Keep an eye on our Instagram and Twitter at TCI Mad Men Pod. But yeah, we've been cooking up a bunch of stuff. Check us out. Thank you for supporting us. And thank you for listening. If you do not want to head over to Patreon, that's fine. Keep listening. We will be here. Let's get back to it. Dan, Jasper, what's your quote? I love quotes that only the character who says them could have said. <laughs> which, in this episode, that's Lane Price, who has pretty much all but one quote, which is, huzzah. <laughs> huzzah is my quote. Love it. I accept. <laughs> I went in a different direction. You know, again, there was a lot of great dialogue in this episode. But you had the scene with Connie and Don, and, and the first thing that Connie does from behind Don Draper's desk <laughs> is ride him for being late. And then he rides him for being, for not having a Bible or photos of his family. I keep a big Torah <laughs> behind my desk, wherever I yep. am. Yeah. You know, so Don says, actually he says it, he rides him the other order, but he says, so Don says, maybe I'm late because I was spending time with my family reading the Bible, which is a great line. And it's a great quote. But my quote is Connie then says to Don, are you nervous, Don? And I just feel like... <laughs> Not a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> until you said that. No, yeah. I just feel like this episode is really Don the starting to fray. We are starting to see Don fray. Well, what did, what did we call the episode 5G, our, our little title of the episode? Piercing the bubble. Piercing the bubble. Adam walking into Don's office and back into his life was the first we had four episodes prior to that and there was no don was don don was unencumbered by his past those four episodes and the moment adam walked in you could draw a straight line to the piercing of the bubble adam walking in to everything we see after right up to and including uh connie not just giving him shit but the um the need for the contract that results from that it's all there you know, the fact that he can't have a, you know, the fact that that creates a crisis for Don needing to sign a contract goes right back to the, the, the first crack, which was Adam. It's all there. And at the end of season one, when we did our wrap up and we talked about sort of all the themes we could look forward to, mm -hmm. we said, you can always go back to the hobo and you can always go back to, or you can always look for what is leading this double life doing to other people now that we know that it has already killed his brother, yep. right? Don is living with that. I have to keep doing this and I am trying to survive 
and you don't understand my guilt. And you don't understand what a terrible person I am. There's, 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 you don't understand my guilt almost get, it almost is like, I'm a good guy and you don't understand. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, is you don't understand what a terrible person I am. And that's what he's walking around in, in the presence, in the presence of being a terrible person. All right, man. Great episode. God. Yeah. Good stuff. I bet next week is a great episode too. Wonder what it is. Souvenir. That's a great episode. <gasps> <laughs> right good show man it seems like every time we look ahead we're like that's gonna be good no yeah can't wait <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks we'll everybody see you next time thanks for listening hey coiners we're so glad you're enjoying the show one of the best ways to support us is to give us rave reviews on apple podcasts and to share us on social media a great way to literally support us is at our patreon where we've got some extra content patreon.com slash they coined it pod if you're able we love you either way and we love your comments and your questions bring them on questions at they or find us on instagram twitter at tci madmen pod we've got a lot more Mad Men to get to, and we can't wait. See you next episode.